0: is in you, in your name. Amen. Um, Before I start reading, it's very appropriate that I got the job uh, of reading the Bible this uh, week because it's all about leprosy. Um, I have some things organised that I'm going to put in the newsletter and I will be collecting money again in August. Um, For as long as I can remember, this church has um, supported the leprosy mission and reading the Bible reading today, that you'd think by now leprosy wouldn't exist, but it still does. Um, I know the leprosy mission are trying, hopefully, to eradicate leprosy by the year 2035. And all the monies we raise, even though it's only sometimes just a small amount, goes to helping these people. So if you want to, a lot of people have got the traditional little leprosy mission box where all the coins go in. I don't have a coin in my purse. It's very hard to collect coins, but dollar notes, well not the one dollar, but anything from five up... (laughs) would be really appreciated so i just find it so appropriate and thanks ellie for bringing it up and and like i said it's something we've supported if you want to be a new donor please come and see me but i'll put something in the newsletter so let's read from mark 1 starting at verse 40. a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees if you are willing you can make me clean Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself... Sorry.
1: Well, good morning and uh, it's lovely to be here uh, with you all and um, we're going to be looking at that uh, little story in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, You sort of read these little episodes and you think five verses, uh, there is so much there to think on and to apply to our lives and uh, pray that that will be so today. So let's ask God to help us as we... um, uh, spend time in his word together father in heaven we do want to ask you to meet with us in in your word this day and we thank you for all that has happened thus far to build us in christ to point us to jesus who is the savior who came into the world and uh, the the savior that is needed for the world today and so lord we pray that you might uh, help us as your people uh, to grasp these things and to live out Uh, the saving news of Jesus in our daily living. And so thank you, Lord, for your willingness to come and to respond to the needs of so many. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on the 9th of July of 1982, 33-year-old Michael Fagan uh, scaled uh, Buckingham Palace uh, 14-foot walls. Uh, the walls, I believe, are topped with um, uh, revolving spikes and uh, barbed wire. And Michael uh, decided that he would shimmy his way up a drain pipe. Uh, he entered the palace through an unlocked window on the roof uh, and he spent the next half an hour inside Buckingham Palace eating cheddar cheese and crackers. Uh, he, he wandered around the palace uh, in the corridors. He admired the... Um, The paintings on the walls there, uh, the portraits. uh, He even sat on a throne. I don't know which one exactly, but there was apparently a couple of thrones there. Uh, He drank the royal wine uh, there as well. And then he entered uh, the late queen's bedroom. Uh, At about 7.15, apparently, in the morning, Michael then just sat down on the edge of the bed. Um, The queen had awoken. Um, She went to the switchboard to ring the police but uh, nothing happened apparently and so anyway, Michael was there on the edge of the bed and asked the Queen for some cigarettes, Um, he asked for her autograph and uh, asked how the corgis were and what her plans were for the day. But finally uh, a duty footman with two policemen on palace duty arrived and uh, removed Michael from the presence of the Queen who apparently said to one of the maids afterwards, we are not amused. Now, an intruder one morning in a royal palace, it's inappropriate to say the least. And much more isn't inappropriate in Jesus' day that a leper might come close to another person. Uh, This man is an example, really, of an early social distancer. Uh, No doubt uh, living outside the town, uh, out of touch. Uh, forced there by the condition and shunned by society. If you were a Jew and you woke up in the ancient world one morning with a strange appearance on your skin, it would strike terror into your heart. Uh, You were required to go to the priest, uh, who being guided by God's word, uh, word, would determine if that skin disease was harmless or was it indeed uh, leprosy. If it was leprosy, uh, not only did you live with the dreadful uh, physical deterioration for the rest of your life, but it meant you could no longer stay in your family and be part of community life. You were unclean. You were not allowed to go near the temple. You were not allowed to go through the gates of Jerusalem. You wore tattered clothes. You couldn't come within 50 paces of another human being. Uh, The Jewish rabbis uh, at the time said lepers could come no closer than 150 metres, or 150 feet rather, downwind. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean, if someone approached you. Uh, One rabbi apparently wrote this, that he would throw stones at lepers to keep them away. Leprosy attacks the nerves, it destroys the sense of feeling Um, it attacks the teeth, the internal organs, the external parts of the body. Lepers uh, end up with massive burns because they just can't feel it. They bleed because they don't feel the cut when they cut themselves. And if they twist an ankle or tear a tendon, they could just simply adjust and walk crooked. Being a leper was the worst imaginable condition. Isolated religiously, socially, economically, no family, no job, no friends, no worship, no hope. And Mark tells us a man with leprosy came to Jesus. And to do this, he's really going against God's law, but he came in urgent desperation, begging Jesus on his knees, really with a death sentence. He's pleading with Jesus for his life. And what we see unfolding here are three things. The appeal of this man, please make me clean. The response of Jesus, I'm willing, be clean. And then the command of Jesus, don't tell Go show. Well, first, please make me clean. And his plea is very simple if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, uh, he knew that Jesus had the ability to do it. Um, Mark has already told us, as we've looked at it, that um, Jesus' reputation has gone far to heal all manner of disease in uh, the whole region of Galilee. But the question is is he willing? And there is just a a marvellous humility in that request, isn't there? Brothers and sisters, isn't this leper a picture of how it is when we come to Jesus? Ours is not physical leprosy this morning, is it? But ours is being unclean because of sin and unrighteousness. Um, And by God's sovereignty alone, we are cleansed you can make me clean if you are willing and like leprosy sin is a deep-seated disease and it corrupts every part of our nature our hearts our wills our conscience our understanding and desires like leprosy it makes us unfit to be in God's presence, unfit for heaven. And thank God today there are some medications to try and tackle that uh, dreadful disease, leprosy, but sin has no human invented cure. How blessed you are who realise this and have come to the only person who can cleanse you. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Toward the end of his life John Newton once said although my memory is fading I remember two things very clearly I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour and this man this man with leprosy speaks to this he was a lost soul like many are today not because they are so far gone and incurable but because they won't come to Christ in humble dependence and find him to be such a great and willing saviour. The response of Jesus to the man's appeal is also simple. He says in there, um, I am willing, and we read immediately that um, the leprosy left the man and he was cleansed. Yeah, perhaps you noticed in that reading this morning, in verse forty-one, that Jesus uh, being filled with compassion and so reached out uh, his hands. Most of the Bible translations have that expression "filled with compassion." It sort of, you know, sort of fits nicely there, doesn't it? But uh, our reading this morning from the NIV had uh, this uh, expression: "Jesus was indignant." Um, I don't think. Um, For a moment, Jesus is saying that he's willing to uh, do this sort of through gritted teeth, as it were, as if he's angry that the man is breaking some sort of ritual by coming uh, to Jesus. But most likely the best way to sort of understand this is to see Jesus' indignation as a righteous anger at the ravages of a fallen world, including his hatred of disease. He hates what sin and evil do to his creation. And he is full of compassion for those who suffer from it. So Bible commentators, people who sort of write notes and commentaries on the Bible, are are divided on whether Jesus was indignant or filled with compassion for the man. But the main thing we need to note here is how Jesus was so moved at the plight of this fellow. By touching the man, Jesus fulfils the law because he has authority to cleanse. What the law was powerless to do. He doesn't just declare the man clean like a priest would, but he provides the cleansing. He is... Willing, be clean, he says. And God's kingdom was present in his words and his deeds. Nor was Jesus made unclean by touching the man. Never touch a leper, it says in Leviticus 5. And Jesus just stepped right past that. Because when he touched the man... He wasn't a leper anymore. That morning, the sun had risen on him, a miserable, sorry sight, more dead than alive. And that evening, as the sun set, it saw him full of hope and joy, freed from pain, fit to take his place in society. For a new day. It was as if he had been raised from the dead. And a day is coming when Jesus will transform our lowly bodies, these aging, troubled bodies, and make them pure and perfect in his kingdom once sown perishable raised imperishable once sown in dishonor raised in glory once sown in weakness raised in power jesus then sends the cleansed man away with this command don't tell go show just to feel the weight of this uh, phrase sent away It's really the same word that Jesus used when he casts out the demons or when he uh, is compelled by the spirit uh, to go into the wilderness by the spirit there. The same word that Jesus, when Jesus threw out the money changers out of the temple or when he sort of threw out the mourners from Jairus' house. It's a strong word as Jesus sends him away not to tell anyone Everywhere Jesus went, people completely misunderstood him, misunderstood his mission and what the Messiah must do. They were looking for a liberator. They were looking for someone to overthrow the Romans, one who would sort of cure all the sicknesses and solve all their problems. Not one who would come preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, calling people to repent of their sins and believe what he's saying. Not one who would come and suffer and die for the sins of the people. Don't tell anyone, says Jesus, strongly. For his concern was to be the Messiah as he defined it. And not by popular opinion. Well, no doubt Jesus knew the man wouldn't keep quiet. I think it's safe to say. He goes out and he spreads the story freely, widely. And you see, there was a time when, because of his leprosy, he couldn't openly enter a town. And he came to Jesus. And he was cleansed. And then he openly spreads the word about what Jesus did. And now it's Jesus. Jesus who can't openly enter a town now it's Jesus who stayed outside in lonely places and yet from all directions the people still came to him what do we make of this and I put it to you we have a picture of what the Messiah will be Was there a lonelier place? Was there a lonelier place outside a city than when Jesus gave his life as a substitute for sinners on the cross? Is it not there that people from all parts of the globe and from all directions, from everywhere, have come and still come to Jesus Yes, Jesus stayed outside in lonely places. And a day was still to come when he would enter a town, a city, openly. As he openly entered Jerusalem. To take him to the cross outside the city and crucified for our sin and so that people can come to Jesus from everywhere and through him enter a city, God's glorious city, by being cleansed, forgiven and restored. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go out to him outside the camp. For here we do not have an enduring city but we have or are looking for a city that is to come. And then Jesus told the man in verse 44, Go you show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you, cleansing, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. We can't be sure that he did. And if you look to the Old Testament, Leviticus 13 and 14, it just spells out the process that the man needed to follow to get him back into the society with a clean bill of health All the ritualistic rigmarole of that. And by telling him to go and show himself to the priest, he has this in mind that he'll come back and be part of society yet again. But also that Jesus is not wanting to be accused of encouraging people to break God's law. We've been living here in Tasmania for about six months. Has there ever been a traffic jam in Tasmania? I'm just trying to work that out. It is quite a shock to the system, in a good way, but uh, I'm, I'm yet to find one. But perhaps, perhaps there have been some minor accidents. And, um, you know, when you're on a, in an accident scene there, the police officer sometimes will turn up and uh, you arrive there and you're sort of crawling along to the intersection. Uh, and there's a red light there. And, you know, the officer, the officer's there and her, her presence, just relegates or just uh, puts to aside the red light because the officer's there and she's waving you through. Red light, but come through. There's been an accident. And so you obey the law enforcer, the, the, the enforcement officer, the policewoman there, one who is embodying the law rather than that red light. And it is Jesus who is the embodiment of the law. He is the enforcer of the law, that it is pointing to him. And just as God brought the world into existence by his word, by that divine command, so the Lord Jesus exercised his divine command in the case of this leper. His appearance at Jerusalem's temple before the priest and doing what was required by God's law would testify to the fact that Jesus was the one who cleansed him. He cures the incurable and does what, God, what God's law cannot. As we finish this morning, we are, are we to understand here that we are not like the leper in the sense that we are not bound to speak? even though it's clear that he did. Because, you see, the secret of what the Messiah will be is no longer in effect. Jesus has been to the cross. He died. He rose. He reigns today. That news is probably too much of a secret than it ought to be. What would it take, I wonder, for us to go out and begin to talk freely, spreading the news about what Jesus has done for you? Wouldn't that be something? That people in our day would come to him from everywhere, not simply to have some problem or issue solved, but also to hear his message the news that Jesus is our saviour and why is there anyone beyond the Lord's reach sometimes I've heard people make the excuse I'm just so bad I'm beyond (laughs) help the whole point of the story isn't it there's no one worse than a leper who come to Jesus and whoever you are whatever you've done do you think the Lord doesn't already know that only will you come even the worst of sinners can be cleansed he is willing to heal the night the Titanic sank on April 14th of 1912, 1528 people went into the freezing waters. John Harper was putting his only daughter on a lifeboat and was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, urging them to receive Jesus Christ, Savior, and Lord before hypothermia became fatal. He swam up to one young man who had climbed on a piece of debris. John Harper said to him between breaths, are you saved? And the young man replied, he's not. Harper tried to lead him to Christ, only to have this young man who was near shock replied, no. Harper took off his life jacket and threw it to the man and said to him, you need it more than I do. And he swam off away to other people. A few minutes later, Harper swam back to the young man who wonderfully he led to receive Christ. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by the lifeboats. And one of them was that young man on the the debris. Four years later, at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up and in tears remembered how John Harper had led him to Christ. He was in the worst possible state, about to freeze to death, Spiritually cold to Christ. But he came to Jesus like the leper, urgently, desperately, humbly, like a leper on his knees asking to be cleansed. And whoever comes to Jesus like that finds him to be a willing saviour. For Jesus sees the broken life, the one that's before him. He sees the troubled soul. He sees the sinful life. And with a word, he makes that life clean. He recreates. A healthy sinner who never comes to him is in a far more serious predicament than a disfigured leper who found his way. He knew where to turn. He knew the person he needed and he knew how he must come. Let's pray. Let's pray now. Let's pray. The sovereign almighty God, salvation belongs to you. And you in no way will cast away the sinner who comes desperate, urgently, humbly, recognising their need. This morning we've heard that uh, Jesus, our Lord, you are a willing saviour. And we pray that as we have experienced that willingness from your goodness and love, that we too might be willing to be those who lead others to know him. And we also pray, Lord, that if there is anyone today that is here who has not come humbly, personally,